Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and guests. Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 83. You're with myself, Paul Spain. I'm Ben Gracewood. And I'm Ryan Parker. Welcome along, guys. Nice to have you here. It's the, uh, the first time for, uh, for both of you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, appreciate it. Now, uh, Ben, tell us a little bit about, about yourself. Since it's your, your first time here, you can announce what you're famous for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Ben, uh, NZBen on Twitter. Um, I think I, I have a few followers and listeners of the podcast in common. Um, and I work at Market Metro, and we're a um, little uh, development shop that we do just uh, Windows Phone and Windows 8 software. That's it. And uh, co-creator of Codemania Conference. Anyone who's interested in software dev should come along. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. That's good. And uh, you do a fair bit of blogging as well, and uh, and yep. and um, you've certainly done your fair share of podcasting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, I think I've I think I've almost almost backed off into to just doing my, my coding these days. But yeah, I used to I do blog at ben.geek.nz and um, was on TVNZ Breakfast for for a while. But no, I'm just a, a code monkey at the moment. Yeah. Well, there's only so many things you can juggle at any, <laughs> yeah. any one time. So, um, exactly. so yeah. you're allowed to have a bit of time off from those things. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and Ryan, you're, um, you're not a Kiwi, are you? I'm not, no. Uh, the, the Australian accent might give it away. i based in Sydney. I uh, look after the Netgear business for Australia and New Zealand. And uh, have been doing that for 11 years now. So I've seen the, seen the company grow up from being a, a very... A startup, essentially, to to what it is now. Um, I'm scared to say, but this is my first podcast and also the first time I've retweeted. So I'm a, a relative social media newbie in that regard. <laughs> oh, no, that's cool. It's uh, it's good good to have you on the show. I mean, you know, we we've had all sorts of uh, of of people, I guess, on since uh, since we launched a whole a whole mix. And uh, yeah, it's it's always good to have uh, have new people on the show and we look forward to uh, may- maybe uh, squeezing a little bit out of you about uh, what's coming up in the future from uh, from Netgear and uh, um, a little bit of yeah, what's happening in the in the networking world which uh, yeah we probably haven't discussed too much um, you know of of those topics on the on the podcast recently so uh, we'll, we'll get into that uh, now first up uh, first up this week uh, Windows 8 has become uh, become available to to business uh, users and to those who have uh, jumped in and, and have a subscription to Microsoft's uh, TechNet or MSDN and also to their closest yep. partners. So, uh, Ben, this is um, something you'll be uh, you'll be quite pleased about, uh, no doubt, since you're uh, very much engulfed in uh, developing applications for Windows 8. Yeah, absolutely. Yes and no. I mean, we're, we're stu- stupidly pleased to have RTM. Finally, we've been through many many builds prior to that, uh, but some of the bugs we wanted fixed aren't fixed <laughs> so it's rtm but but uh yeah so rtm that's a release to manufacturing yes. that's kind of the final that's the release version when people get yep. new pcs in october yep. at the end of october they'll come with that there'll be retail yep. boxes out, yeah, or it's gone, it's gone out to downloads the, the tablet makers and the pc makers oems yep. everyone's got it and um and yeah anyone probably with a corporate it department will have a TechNet or an msd and they can pull it down and start putting on machines as well yep. yeah so yep. you know along with that everything the store's gone live uh, payments have gone live um, you know all, all the all the infrastructure around that as well. So, and the other thing they've been doing, I think I've seen a lot of activity over the past couple of months is um, basically oh, I would say metroing all the things. We're not allowed to say metro anymore, are we? Oh, I um, think we can still <laughs> say, especially given the name of uh, yeah. of your company, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that that style, that flat style, has been applied all over the place. SkyDrive, Outlook.com, all you know, all the live logins, and I think that really helps that everywhere you hit the net from Windows 8, yeah, it looks looks good. So mm. yeah, they've been they've been really concentrating on that in the last few months as well. It's quite interesting because we, you know, we haven't traditionally known Microsoft as being, uh, you know, uh, uh, focused on the sort of the visual appearance so much as, uh, you know. Apple, for instance, yep. um, you know that that's the that's the I guess the common comparison. Hmm. Uh, but what we've seen recently with this Metro style, uh, you know, it seems to be uh, seems to be something that yeah. that really really works well. People like and it's and it's yeah. easy to use. Are I mean, you getting that sort of feedback yeah. out there? Absolutely, and the thing is, I mean, I'm I'm totally biased, right? My my entire business is predicated on on Windows 8 working, so you take that with a grain of salt. But the thing that we're seeing, and the thing that I'm seeing, is is um, that apps being built in Apple land, especially enterprise apps on iPads, 
are starting to look dated. They're starting to look like the old 3.1 apps of old days, and the Metro apps we're building now on the same services are looking fantastic. And and I think that's a complete flip. What we had before was you had Windows apps, which are dated and boring. Then Apple started coming out, and everyone in their everyone in their dog was writing Apple apps, and they looked new and they looked great. But now the UI table views and the, and you know the stuff that that we're used to seeing is feeling old hat. Mm, mm. And you just take we take the same services. You know, this is part of our bread and butter, and write awesome metro apps on top of it and it, the people you know people using it start to say it's fantastic it's a whole new thing and it's good it's an interesting you know flip of the switch the other point is um you know apple's what the biggest most valuable company in the world now mm. and um there was a good point i thought i think made on twitter that remember what happened to microsoft soon after they were the most valuable company in the world as well so so yeah i think apple's better start watching their back yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah now, uh, Ryan, have you had much of a look around uh, Windows 8? Where do you, where, what are your thoughts on, um, on, the, on the platform and, and where it's going to go? You know, I see you're, uh, um, you and your cohort are, uh, are sitting there with, uh, uh, with MacBooks uh, <laughs> and your iPhone users. Uh, you know, is, is Windows 8 relevant to you and what you do every day? Or are you pretty happy with, uh, with Mac as a, you know, OS X platform? That's a, a really good question, Paul. I, I guess, you know, working at Netgear, we, we're very much operating system agnostic. And one of the drivers for us to move to Mac at the time uh, from a hardware point of view was, was purely just the, the, the performance of the SSD drives and, the, and the, essentially the technology piece, which now, you know, the Intel is addressed with the Ultrabook range. So, you know, there really is nothing stopping us re-embracing uh, Windows 8 again now that the Ultrabooks and the technology have caught up to what was available by app from Apple with the Air platform. And how did you, you know, how did you personally find the find the transition from one operating system to another? I mean, you're reasonably uh, tech tech savvy. You know, some users sort of struggle going either way from Mac to PC or, or you know, uh, PC to Mac. How did you find that? I found it a, a fairly easy transition, um, and you know I'm probably one of the uh, I have been called one of the more technical uh, managing directors within Netgear. So, <laughs> you know I've I've been able to embrace both, um, and I'm I really am looking forward to having a play with with Windows 8 uh, because it does represent you know what we've been using previously on the on the iPad is now on a Microsoft platform, and I'm I'm quite excited about playing with it. Yeah. Now, something I'm I am interested in hearing perspective on is um, ultrabooks with touchscreens, and you know I had a look at and uh, 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 one of the pre-release models from um, from Acer that will be launching um, with with Windows 8 a couple of days ago, uh, and you know we've had these sort of uh, you know tablet type devices from Lenovo and 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 HP that are really you know laptops with a with a touchscreen that you can uh, swivel around. Uh, but they they never really gained much traction, obviously, with previous operating systems. Uh, what what are your thoughts, Ben, on uh, you know how useful people are going to find those, or are they going to end up not touching the screen? Or yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, when Windows Eight was revealed, and it was revealed as a, as a touchscreen centric, you know, met, the Metro the Windows UI interface. Um, my initial reaction was, you know, stuffed if I'm going to be touching my monitor at work. If anyone else touches my monitor at work, I, I just about beat them to death. I hate, I hate fingerprints. <laughs> but lo and behold, you know, just through, because again, because it's all we do, we've all got touch monitors at work. And my, my mode of working has completely changed. And I do, you know, I think it's called occasional touch. I mean, I've got a Windows 8 tablet in front of me that's constantly touching it, always using it. At work on mouse and keyboard 90, 95% of the time. But the occasional touch is really useful just to swipe something or to, to zoom in on something, the old pinch gesture. And I think that's what will happen with those those laptops as well, the, the, the Ultrabooks, is that you'll be bashing around the keyboard most of the time, trackpadding, but being able to reach out and do something quickly is good. I mean... I hope the um, the anti smudge technology catches up, <laughs> but apart from that, I think it's great. Mm. The, um, the Asus Tai Chi, the one that has um, it has dual monitors, but they're back to back. So yes, when you when yes. you close it, it becomes a, 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 you can touch the top of the tablet. That looks pretty awesome. Mm, yeah. Mm. yeah. 
and uh, Lenovo, I don't know if um, what the uh, launch announcements were. They had mm. their, uh, what was their similarly named one, uh, where you could fold the screen right back. Right. Oh, yeah, uh, you flip it up back on itself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. presume the keyboard becomes turns off by itself. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that um, the Lenovo tablet, too, it looks incredible. If, it, if it's, you know, to be believed that it has 8 to 10 hours battery life and it's an Atom. And um, it really makes me question what the point of the ARM you know the windows on arm is if, if you can get a an intel you know what is it one what did you say 1.8 gigahertz yeah so the, what yeah. i had a look at um is two pre-release windows 8 tablets one from uh acer that they're talking about a 10-hour battery life and this is a device that's uh very similar to the ipad 2 in terms of uh or ipad 3 current generation of ipad um if i'm going to call it by the correct <laughs> yeah, name yeah, the new ipad um yeah, yeah. In terms of you know size and weight and so on, and then Lenovo's uh, ThinkPad 2, which is also a pre-release Windows 8 device, uh, which comes in. I think the specs are it's lighter than the iPad, yep. uh, and it also has a stylus. These are both running uh, dual-core uh, hyper-threading. Um, CPUs, the Atom processor of the new um, Clover Trail, Clover Trail um, yeah. version. So. Uh, they seem to run really smoothly, and yeah, I I would see those not being priced mm. too dissimilarly to uh, you know iPad and uh, Android yeah. tablets. And if I can pick one of those today. up and run all my desktop apps, you know, run Visual Studio if I need to, run any, anything that I could run on Windows Seven, plus have iPad, you know, iPad like weight and size and iPad like battery life. Why would I bother with an ARM device that I can't run my my old apps on? It's um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that that's an, that's an interesting discussion. Uh, I guess there will be you know situations where people don't want or need to be able to run some of the older legacy stuff, and they want to use it more for touch. Yeah. Uh, but I would mad- I imagine part of the reason why Microsoft went down this track is to put some competitive pressures on intel and amd to release system on a chip um Mm. architectures for windows 8 if there was no pressure of there being an arm uh version of windows 8 coming then i i can imagine intel would have still wanted to keep selling the more expensive processes and so by you know by doing this it it guaranteed from the get-go that there were going to be low cost uh low cost tablets for windows 8 uh, as well as there being those higher end ones that will replace mm-hmm. you know traditional uh, laptops yeah. with snap on keyboards and so on but you know even even with these you know what are likely to be reasonably low cost uh, atom based tablets yeah. there are keyboard options and you know lenovo's one has a really nice digitizer um uh pen and we were just playing earlier with the um with the previous generation of that that runs android which is a bigger and heavier device mm. uh and certainly the writing and so on it works quite well so if we can yeah. move to a device that's got better functionality than the android uh but is actually slimmer and lighter and running an operating system that can run uh, touch apps mm, and, mm, and old yeah. school things, Microsoft Office and so on. <laughs> it, it's, it seems... Um, well, unless, unless you're going to get a, a, an ARM service of 199 then you might think about that instead of, instead of an Atom. <laughs> yeah, have you uh, come across that, um, that rumour, Ryan? Has this uh, been, been some news going around that uh, Microsoft's um, uh, Surface tablet, the, um, uh, the ARM-based version or Windows RT version, will be released for $199? US Does that sound like madness? I'm, I mean, to me, it, do, it just doesn't add up. The device would cost much more than that to manufacture. The only, the only way... I can see that um, that such a thing would happen is if it's a little bit like a cell phone type deal where you're signing up to some sort of contract. Yeah, you're paying one nine nine up front, mm. but you've got some monthly fee for a Microsoft right. service, yeah. uh, you know, behind the scenes. Like Microsoft have done in the US with Xbox, you can buy, a, you know, an Xbox three sixty for ninety nine dollars, but you're committed to a, you know, two or three year contract on the Xbox Live gaming service. 
Yeah. I mean, I can imagine if they if they bundle Xbox Live and maybe a Zoom Pass as well with it, then then it's probably good for them to get that annuity revenue as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Look, and I think you know, going back to the the idea of Windows on a on an ARM platform, I think there's you know, it provides a, a platform for Windows 8 for essentially the emerging markets because it becomes a way for Microsoft to have an offering into those places where people are cost sensitive and they're but they can still deliver them the full you know windows 8 experience um yeah yeah that's yeah that's that's true and i guess uh in those markets they've pulled the version of windows 8 windows 7 we used to have a starter version that was aimed at the emerging markets it was a lower cost offering it was limited in terms of some of its functionality so yeah, that, I think that's quite an interesting observation. If you had, uh, you know, maybe a lower end ARM based tablet that met all the specifications, and could come down to to much lower price points, Microsoft might well charge a lower amount for the yeah. cost of the Windows that comes in when it's sold into some of those emerging markets. Yeah. And I think you know certainly education as well is a great space for for Microsoft to. To be able to position position a low cost tablet, yeah, that's a good point. So, what of um, the success that Apple's had in the market recently? And we look at in, in the New Zealand market, you know, Apple have you know their market iPad, share has yeah. just kept increasing. iPad sales you know, are stupendous, um, stupendous. iPad yeah, sales dramatically iPad in, in sales every direction. Next right? year, are probably going to be almost half of PCs and laptops combined. You know, and it's just that's bonkers. It's you know, hundred, hundred, you know, hundred and fifty. Yeah, talking to three hundred thousand um, a year, yeah. million worldwide. Yep. You know, direction. Um, yeah. It's it's it just keeps going up and really up. Bonkers. Right? You know, and and I was um I was kind of grumpy at at the Microsoft Surface announcement without any any pricing, any pre sales, nothing. They just said, oh, here's this device. Uh, come back and see us in a few months. You know, I was crazy mad that they didn't at least do a pre, uh, you know, a, a, a um, what is, you know, you could sign up to to buy it, you know, pre-sales and that sort of thing. But then since then, I've talked to probably two or three different enterprises that that basically has caused them to stop. The note, the the knowledge that services there has caused them to wait on iPad deployments. And so then I that kind of I finally understood why Microsoft did it. They did do it to say, check this out, it's coming. You know, and if you want to stay, if you're a Microsoft shop and you want to, you know, stick with us, then, then you know, hold on. And you know, I think it's maybe a valid strategy then to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah, I certainly saw that that sort of uh, frustration. From people, where's all the extra info and so on? But it yeah. seemed that seems to be. Um, the new Microsoft in terms of how they're operating and how they they yeah. sort of play with the media and with with the audience, they'll drip feed things out so that they get the coverage as and when you know they want it. And you know they did something that Apple hasn't been able to do, um, you know, so much recently, which is they announced a product without there having been a whole lot of you know leaked info yeah. ahead of the launch. Yeah. Uh, and that, that you know they've been getting uh, they've been getting very very you know very good at that. Uh, even the you know the recent office announcement, uh, you know that that was um, you know the the uh, beta launch and so on. Yeah. You know that stuff was um, yeah, was was kept you know pretty quiet until uh, you know a day or so before the event. So yeah. I mean I yeah. think I think there will be studies in the future of the amount of free publicity that Apple gets has got from their their secrecy mm. and people have kind of you know clicked onto that yeah mm. all right um so that that's you know probably enough about uh win, windows 8 um <laughs> for the moment uh local news we've uh, we've heard about raycon have uh, have recently signed uh, just this week last uh, day or so i've just assigned uh, signed a deal with um huawei which of course are the big uh, chinese yep. manufacturers of hmm. all sorts of communications uh equipment and um and handsets as well which which we've we've reviewed on the uh, on the podcast in the in the past um yeah. they've got quite a you know, Huawei have a quite strong base here in New Zealand now too. So I guess Raycon probably signed up to the, the secret tracking, or, you know, that they have to put into it as well at the same time. <laughs> the Chinese backdoors, isn't it? There's been all sorts of discussions <laughs> around that, right? I so, mean, Huawei have been banned from the um, Australia's equivalent of the ultra-fast yeah. broadband, the, you know, the rollout of the fibre network. Um, the, and the Americans seem very, very scared about having oh, them involved. I mean, um, yeah, yeah, we were told Pacific Fibre, one of their uh, yeah. challenges was that they, uh, you know, they couldn't take on 
too much uh, Chinese investment because yeah. of, um, um, you know, concerns. Is that, uh, um, is, that a gen- is that a genuine thing, do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think we're all been watching. I mean, Nick, you, you guys must have your mandated NSA backdoors on all your routers, don't you? I couldn't comment on that. <laughs> See, no comment. <laughs> no comment from Nick. Yeah, and you know what a no comment means, yeah, don't exactly, you, Ben? Exactly. It, it's it's pretty much a, a yes, isn't it? <laughs> but no, I mean seriously, I think I think the, the the likelihood of Huawei having backdoors is probably about as likely as you know as Netgear or or Nokia or you know else having backdoors. And I mean the one that was in theory exposed the Chinese, you know, the, the Chinese backdoor was it was an FPGA programming port that's on every chip anyway isn't it that's it's yeah i think it's a bit of a beat up yeah i'm not yeah. sure about that one i mean there what there was i've seen some things recently around um the the quality of uh security on on some of the the uh, huawei handsets and and mm. so on running running um android and i think that's more that more android thing than a, than a huawei thing well or? i think yeah. it's more a reflection of these being lower lower cost devices that are that are aimed at a lower point in the market mm. and uh, you know the quality of your security comes down to the the investment that you put in for security and as you become a bigger and bigger target more and more you know has to be invested in uh, protecting against those things, and yeah. and um, a company that has, isn't so well known for handsets at this stage isn't going to be the biggest target. Uh, but I, you know, if they were selling yeah. the the uh, or they were as, you know high profile with the handsets, say Apple is, when they have a security issue, it, you know, it, it tends to get all over the the news, right? So they spend more time on getting it right up front. You're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And and certainly once there's been a few bad things in the media, I mean, in the same way that uh, you know Sony had their uh, you know, security issues last year uh, with the PlayStation Network, you know, they got hacked, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, after that, you can be absolutely sure the impact of that was, you know, was was so big that now they will spend more money than they've ever spent yeah. on ensuring they're, uh, they're secure. And, and I guess often at a higher level management perspective, it's very hard to understand, uh, you know, why, why so much should be invested in, yeah, in, in security yeah. from that business perspective. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in the same way, you know, businesses today spend a lot on uh, business continuity, disaster recovery, making sure things are right because... There's been enough stories and situations where people have, you know, people's businesses have been really messed up because they've lost data. Uh, so you know, boards and so on put a put a uh, are always willing to sign off <laughs> I mean, on getting that yeah. sort of stuff right. Yeah, there's a good. I mean, if people listen to podcasts, Risky Business is a fantastic um, security podcast. People should listen to it. But they always don't go on about the risk based approach to security being completely, you know, crazy because. Um, you know, your risk is always super high, and if you have a collection of data that's valuable, then your likelihood is also super high. So it's more about mitigation than you know than than risk. But I'm um, coming back. Is it, do you think it's a big deal for Acon, or is it just a big deal because it's Huawei? You know, again, Huawei's been in the press, so the Raycon, is it a, is it a big like is the money big for Raycon, or is it doing deals like this all the time? Uh, I think. I think that's a it's a I mean it's a reasonably big deal in the in the scheme of things. Uh you know, I mean they they are doing, you know, they are year to year doing um I'm not sure what the exact numbers are in their in their turnover, but hmm. uh you know, their um you know the the valuation on the business when you looked at their market cap um, certainly a couple of years ago was uh, you know way up into the hundreds of millions of dollars. It's you know down now at around a hundred million. Um, so fifty million dollar deal on a hundred million dollar company is, is a big deal. Significant. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I mean I think that is over a period of of, of years though. I don't think that's you know right. like a commitment of business over the next uh, twelve months. But the yeah. fact that they are you know signing um, signing those sort of deals. Uh, means they're hitting. They're probably heading in the right direction. Uh, you know what we don't know is, you know how much profit there is, and you know remember that who are we? Uh, yeah, they're really really huge, and they could potentially do a whole lot more business. Uh, but you know some of their products, or they they tend to be uh, priced towards the bottom of the market, and part of that may be that they you know they um, screw suppliers down, and mm. and there's not as much profit in the deal. So those are things yeah. that we don't we don't really know. But it's certainly you know always good to see New Zealand technology businesses. Yeah. Uh, uh, exporting and 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 doing well internationally, so um, and, um, I think it's pleasing. Yeah, slightly related. I think Huawei are a um, Windows Phone 8 launch partner, aren't they? Or launch company? I think they're one of the ones bringing out devices. I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm. Cool. 
Now, on that front, um, Nokia have made an announcement, uh, or Microsoft and, and Nokia have an event coming up um, yeah. just in about two weeks yeah, around, so um, well, what, what we're guessing will be uh, Nokia's new... Um, New Windows phones with um, yeah. with with Windows Phone eight. Yeah, we've got. I mean, Nokia World is is what the September six or something like that. So uh, Microsoft and Nokia have announcement in New York on the fifth, and I mean it's yeah widely presumed to be just them pre-announcing what's going to happen at Nokia World so that they can get the you know all the US bloggers and press to an event. Um, and you know, given timing, you know, given the predictions for the Apple devices, given timing for holiday season, that sort of stuff, and every everything that's been said about. Windows Phone 8 always being, you know, October's been mentioned a lot, so do the maths and, you know, it's pretty obvious they're going to be announcing um, hardware, perhaps the Windows Phone 8 SDK, we don't know, yeah. yeah. And what are your thoughts about the, uh, you know, the platform going forward? Yeah, Microsoft have had a pretty slim uh, share of the the mobile uh, market, obviously, you know, again, your, your um, market metro is developing apps in this in this space but yeah. you don't need the phone necessarily to win a big uh, market share I mean there's you know Windows is big enough that on the desktop it's going to yeah. uh, you know it's going to sell enough that it'll keep you busy yeah um, absolutely yeah, but we, are you expecting a big a big change in uptake of the of the of the phones with again, this version again I'm totally biased but I, I hope it's going to work um, there's a few things that make me really confident some of the things that we've you know that are under our NDA we've seen in the emulator really get me excited there's some really really great stuff coming out in terms of um, uh, polish on the Windows Phone thing, you know, so just polish making it looking a lot better. So everyone's seen the new start screen, they've seen a bunch of the new apps. Um, mm. The fact that you can do use DirectX now, so porting from OpenGL on iOS is much better, so game porting is going to be much more straightforward, so we should see more of that happening. So um, we'd like you to see some of those big games that have come out on on um, on the iPhone and iPad, yeah, um, yeah, coming across to Windows Phone. Exactly. So if, a port a port from OpenGL to XNA is, is is a rebuild. It's months and months of work. Port from OpenGL to DirectX is is weeks of work. So, you know, we should see some you know some of that happening. Um, the other is uh, you know, exciting features, and then um, you know the cross flow from Windows to Windows Phone eight um, should happen a lot. So people you know people will see Windows and understand it, and they'll they'll come across. Yeah, and the, other, and the final bit of that is, is the, the, the uptick in the Nokia share price. I mean, I don't know where that's coming from, but some analysts somewhere have decided that Nokia's on the up. Share price has gone up 60 70% in the last couple of weeks. And my gut feel on that again is um, Windows Phone 8 is probably at the point where you're getting some analyst roadshows happening in the private. You know, They're probably getting Nokia executives wandering around showing stock analysts what these devices are and how they're going to look. And um, you're seeing a reaction in the stock price. So yeah, mm. I think that it all bodes pretty well. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And um Ryan, you're uh you're a, a pretty big uh Apple fan as we mentioned before. Uh won't quite put you in the fanboy category yet. Uh but you know what are, what are you seeing out there? I mean you obviously deal a lot with technology um companies and um you know resellers and so on. Um are you seeing that they're using the Windows phone um uh platform a lot or are you are you still seeing uh, very much I mean in, in the Australian market um iPhones a lot more popular than Android whereas it's the opposite way here in New Zealand. Yeah, it's interesting. I um, presented to a, a group of reseller partners called SMB IT Pro last uh, Wednesday night in, in Brisbane. And uh, when I started talking about support for uh, smartphones, you know, the room was fairly divided between um, iPhone and, and Android. Uh, but you know there was some some simmering excitement there about Windows Phone um, off the back of what's happening with Windows 8, and you know these guys being the SMB IT Pro group grew out of being the the window uh, the Microsoft SPS server group, so they are very Microsoft centric in in their strategies and their, the the solutions they sell to their customers. So you know I think there's there's building excitement there. Okay. Good. Well, well, we will watch that space and uh, and see how it goes. Uh, now, what else have we got? Um, I guess it's probably but about time to talk about some of the uh, the networking things, um, especially around Netgear. 
um, since, you, since you're here. So where would you like to start? You know? I'd like to start with wide-eye. I mean, I can't believe I hadn't ever heard of that before. You guys were talking about it before, and, and this wide-eye thing. I've never seen it. Yeah, so why... I've just installed the drivers on this tablet. Oh, you managed to get it... Okay, installed. (laughs) That's really cool. So um, Wi-Dye is a sort of a wireless display uh, uh, technology uh, from Intel, and it's included in in, um, their their latest chipsets. So, uh, for instance, the Samsung tablet that you've got um, conveniently has that already already built in. It's it's not well publicized yet, though, is it? Because, um, I mean... I can stream my screen to a TV, but I need something something in, in between and and that Is and that? that's where um and that's yeah where where, where netgear Net- have a little piece of technology right yeah. yeah so with the wide eye technology intel released it about um two ces's ago that's about 18 months and normal people speak. That's, that's and, and the thing is, is it's been a really well kept secret we were the launch partner we released the the push to tv version one and yeah. uh that got picked up by a few notebook vendors in a couple of models. And then it's really this last CES where they've reinvigorated it again. We've gone from a, to a, a solution which will allow you to stream 1080p from your, your, your tablet or Ultrabook to your TV screen. So full HDMI with uh, surround sound capability. And that's, and that's actually just the display streaming. So it's not like DLNA, DLNA where the device has to decode the video and stuff is it it's purely yeah. display streaming yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so if you can if you can watch the video on your pc with whatever codecs you have you can yeah that's exactly right so that's right. you're not tied down there and and you know there's no lag between what you see on your screen in front of you and and what's appearing on the on the screen so you know we've had people talk about using it for gaming off their pc as well um, and what sort of price is this in the you know sort of the retail market here in uh, in New Zealand? This is sort of under two hundred dollars for your little um, little box that uh, plugs into an HDMI port on the TV. Yeah, it is. Uh, in JB Hi-Fi, they've got it for about one hundred and forty-nine dollars. Yep. Um, and you know they've got a, a huge range of Ultra books there that that use it. Or if you've already got one. Um, it's a good place to pick one up from. I can't believe I hadn't heard about it. I'm going to, have to start telling my friends. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about uh, AirPlay from Apple, and you know, that's yeah. something that you know, I, I don't have an Ultrabook with um, with WiDi in it, and so with our TV, you know, that's when you know my MacBook is is you know sitting on my lap in the in the meeting room, and uh, we'll use the Apple TV for that. But this yeah. brings that type of functionality to uh, you know to Windows users, so pretty handy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. very cool. There's actually quite a comprehensive list on Intel's side of notebooks that are, are wide-eye compatible, so it's just a matter of jumping on there if you've got a minute and finding out if the one you've got is compatible or, or going to your local retailer. Excellent. Now, um, one other thing around that wide-eye, um, at the moment you've got one device that does it, but in the in the future we're going to see more um, more um, you know more network devices. devices that will support wide-eye? Yeah, look, it's at the moment it's a, a dedicated wide-eye device, but you know Netgear's got a, a history of building media players, and if you look at what we've been releasing in the US, we've been supporting you know Netflix and Hulu and all those sorts of um, uh, streaming content providers right. on our media players, and wide-eye will become a standard part of those devices as well. Cool. And I guess you know longer term, we'd like you to see it. You know, eventually, you know, the smart TV type, um, you know, things we would expect to also see that uh, built into, you know, TVs eventually, right? We see some of that sort of um, stuff come through. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting just to see how it sort of picks up in the market now that there are so many ultrabooks and uh, you know devices that can actually output uh, wide eye. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's great if you you know if you don't have a smart TV now, a, a wide eye. Device isn't too expensive to add to it, so that you can get all that content that's on your notebook onto a bigger screen. Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, now, the other technology we, we've talked about this before, and we've got one sitting here um, again is this new gigabit, um, you know, speed Wi-Fi, uh, which seems like a little bit of a dream to have uh, wireless networking that's, uh, you know, as as fast as the you know the, um, fastest network cables that we usually have around the office. Um, 
how far off until we can get the, you know, we'll start seeing the network cards and that this will sort of be built into laptops as 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 standard because we've got the um, your R6300 um, uh, router there that supports this new 802.11ac. Um, <laughs> why don't they come up with nice names? Um, that, Nicer names than that, but anyway, um, you know it supports this very, very fast uh, wireless. Um, what's the what's the road ahead for that, Ryan? Well, with eight hundred two eleven AC, it, it's really about being able to you know increase the range and the performance in the home for streaming streaming media. So, you know, you, you mentioned adapters. Uh, you know, we expect to see the the USB adapters for your notebooks and PCs coming out. You know late September or early October. Uh, and, you know, we saw some um, stats from Broadcom, who are one of the lead, uh, the lead chipset manufacturers, sort of indicating that one of their focuses is actually um, co- uh, consumer electronic devices. So your TVs and your Blu-ray players and those types of devices where you want to be streaming high-def media to and you need fast wireless to do that. So, you know, being able to push a, a Blu-ray movie, quality movie, across your wireless network. Uh, you know, that being said, even though, you know, we haven't got adapters quite there yet, people that are using the new AC standard uh, with traditional 802.11 N wireless are seeing performance benefits in their home networks as well because of the, the smarter antennas and the beamforming technology that mm. is part of the 80211 AC standard. Okay. Oh that that's really that's really cool. Um, yeah, I think we're looking forward to that coming through and I, and I guess the other thing is we'll see it in the likes of, you know, I'm imagining future uh, PlayStations and Xboxes it will just become the norm right across the board smartphones everything's going to ultimately use this technology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, if you look at the the, the current Netgear product, it's uh, one point rated as one point seven gig throughput. You know, we're expecting to see you know a whole range of of speeds within that AC category, starting at gigabit and and moving up. And mm. I think from a technology point of view, it's got the potential to go to you know five gigabit speeds. So yeah, it's got a, a long future ahead of it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Oh, well, it's good good to be making that leap. I know it was a few years ago we were, you know, sort of sitting back and just wishing this wireless N standard would come through because the older wireless G standard was was so slow, and uh, we've sort of got to that point again where it's, uh, you know, it's quite limiting. And you know, I have a, a media centre set up at home, and for that to work properly for me to display, um, you know, Freeview TV content through it and so on, it just won't work over traditional Wi-Fi. So I've got to have a, you know. Gig, a gigabit or you know, proper network cable plugged into it to get a re, you know a consistent result. So, well, yeah, it, it, and it is interesting. My um, father-in-law, parents-in-law, looking at building a new house, and you know, I sort of asked them if they were going to do wire, you know, run Cat Five through the house and that sort of thing. And he said, "Well, you know, won't wireless be fine?" It's sort of. I mean, my gut feel is no. You know, you got to have you got to have you know ports in every room. But maybe we aren't far off from where you could just deal with wireless the whole time. Yeah. Look, I, I think that's that's a fair comment because you know we've. Been deploying um, uh, power, uh, not power over Ethernet, uh, the Ethernet over power technology for for sharing media for a while now, and um, you know the challenge with that is that you you get great throughput, but you don't if you don't have the the power line adapters on the same circuit in your home, then you, you run in some co- to connectivity challenges. So, you know, we've done such a great job of positioning Wi-Fi as being that ubiquitous technology for connecting. You know, I think. You know, within 12 months, you know, AC will be make it that easy that even in large homes where traditionally where you had to consider cabling for streaming media, wireless will be the right product. Yeah. So, how, I mean, is it, um, do you have sort of throughput with multiple connections though? So, if you've got two or three laptops running, will, they, will it cut down on the AC in terms of sort of throughput? So, the the great thing about the beamforming technology and, and the way the antennas work in in AC is that if you're running all AC adapters, then it will try and give you the highest level of, of throughput possible um, across all of those devices. And and with the AC too, it also runs in the five gigahertz space. So you know you can dedicate your two point four um, gig spectrum network or your your standard end network to your your legacy devices as well. So you can set up the AC section for for really purely media streaming where you want that performance right but you're talking about a total performance of 1.7 um, 
um, gigabits, aren't you? So if you had, you know, say you had 10 devices running in your home that were all trying to pull it down, then they would split that across the, you know, devices yeah. accordingly, right? Like a, a network switch and so on. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's still shared spectrum, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, it's going to be a while before we really see the, uh, you know, the wireless get to the point where in all our offices that you just do absolutely everything off wireless and it's absolutely, you know, flawless, I would think. I mean, there are, you can spend a lot of money on that sort of technology um, to, to try and get uh, good outcomes. But, you know, right now, y- yeah, you can get higher levels of reliability, but you've still got uh, performance challenges to deal with. So, Well, I think, you know, it's the, the adoption of smartphones and tablets and ultra PCs are really driving the wireless technology vendors to improve that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's a good point. I mean, there's some devices you just don't want to plug in. So, you know, yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's exactly right. And, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing in the in it with our commercial or business products around the wireless space has been in, in education where they're, you know, rapidly embracing tablets. And, you know, they're, they're trying to hit their wireless networks with, you know, two or three hundred students all at one time wanting to surf the web and stream media. So, you know, it's that whole business space and the reliability of wireless is, is a key focus for vendors. Yeah, well, I'm I'm certainly thinking this will be um, this will be the technology to sit in my home um, tomorrow is supposedly the day that I finally get my uh, fibre install uh, uh, underway at my house. So, um, <laughs> looking forward to uh, ultra fast broadband. So, um, so the actual UFB loop, or is it, a, or, or is it a new UFB rollout, or are you? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we're 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 on base. They've um, over the last three months have dug up the streets and and you know rolled out uh, that. Yeah. And, and um, whereabouts is that? Um, in the um, Ponsonby and Hearn oh, Bay okay. and Greylin um, area, there's basically been a broad rollout across that region over yeah. the over the past sort of um, starting about six months ago, right. and you know continuing on for the for the next little while as yeah, well. When I, when I check my little suburb, I think um, in the chorus, you know, thing it says uh, sometime before 2019. Yeah, you get that <laughs> if you haven't been scheduled yeah, yeah, yet. Yeah, 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 so yeah. you know, it could be that it's actually only a couple of years away. Yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's no, probably we were, we were, not likely we were, to be seven years. But we were way down the list on capitalization. Depending well. on where you are, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I can empathise with you there. But <laughs> I, I have the same problem with the NBN rollout in Australia. Yeah. I shouldn't really I'll complain. I'll be waiting a while. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't really complain because I got thirty meg VDSL at the moment, so that's that's totally fine. Yeah. Well, that and and that's that's <laughs> that sort of performance. You know, will yeah. will will be fine for a little while. I think. You know, there are definitely going to be some you know immediate benefits of. Uh, you know, of having the ultra fast broadband, but it's more, you know, I think in many ways it's you know it's a longer term thing. If we look back, you know, uh, fifteen years ago when uh, you know even th- those that were on the internet were you know mostly on dial up, and then mm. you know um, you know uh, ADSL started coming along, a lot of people were were wondering, well, why do I need this even for my business? They were quite happy with uh, dial up to deliver their emails and their you know occasional online bits and pieces and of yeah. course you know as times change we've need we've needed something a lot uh, a lot faster and you know more reliable and more capable and i guess that's where ultra fast broadband uh, you know comes in as whatever we end up doing over the next few years it's going to become pretty important mm. Yeah, look, I agree. I think, you know, one of the great things from a home point of view is, you know, we, we, we at home we generate so much content with taking photos and videos and then, you know, our music collections. You know, the best thing about ultra-fast broadband is that we'll be able to back it up somewhere else so that, you know, we never lose anything because that's always the... Well, our upload challenge. speeds have been so slow on ADSL, haven't they? You know, yep. they've, they've been... Yeah, there's been no point. I mean, the, the bandwidth costs, because uploads, you know, charged in your cap as well, and the speed means, yeah, there's no way... If, the cloud backup would work as it is yeah yeah yeah, it's been a real problem in you know New, New Zealand in particular uh, because we've been so far away from most of those sort of cloud backup providers. But uh, you know we're starting to see the data caps come up, and and uh, you know when our upload speed is suddenly uh, you know ten times or f- you know in the in the case of the trial I'm going on with Vodafone, my download speed will be you know 100 megabits down, upload speed will be 50 megabits up. Uh, you know that's you know something like 50 times the upload speed yeah. that I that I have now. So what sort of cap do you get on that? Though? I mean, you blow through that in um, days. 
Well, it de- I mean, it depends how you use it. Uh, I mean, at the moment, I'm on a 60 gig cap, and I, you know, I watch a lot of uh, Netflix and online type video services. Yeah. And that, you know, that seems to actually work reasonably well for me. But I, I mean, the the trial plan that they're putting me on uh, is one. Of, you know, it's one of their new plans that hasn't been announced, and and I don't know whether they'll launch it into the market. But it's a it's a, uh, the two that I've heard about is one is a 120 gig uh, cap with a, a phone line. I'm going on to the um, the naked UFB plan, uh, which gives 200 gigs worth of data and 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 no uh, no right. phone so phone line yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I I don't need it with my you know with mobile and so on. Yeah. We get free calling on mob, on the you know to landlines with the mobile plan. Hmm. Um, so you know that that works out reasonably reasonably well. Um, you know I can imagine if you've got um, uh, you know a house full of um, students, you know flats and those sort of environments where you know it's pretty hard to control sort of um, you know who does what. Uh, then you know bigger caps are going to come in useful. But you know mm-hmm. we've already seen uh, you know Orcon with their one terabyte uh, uh, cap offering into the market, and you know I guess in Australia you you you've seen a lot. Lot more of those bigger data caps than what we have uh, here in New, New Zealand, but we're, we're now sort of starting to catch up with some of those sort of bigger um, you know, data caps. Yeah, look, uh, you know, a couple of the, the service providers that are providing plans around NBN are uh, talking about uh, have released terabyte plans, uh, but predominantly it's still you know between that fifty and two hundred gig mark is the is the common plan there. And do you think that's sort of just a reflection of of what? the general public are using at the moment? I think it is because, yeah, again, we're still getting used to the idea of, you know, having such fast broadband and, you know, what do you use it for? And you mentioned streaming movies and a lot of the ISPs already offer, you know, streaming content right. as part of their caps and anyway. Zero, zero deals with yeah. Sky and that sort of stuff, yeah. 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 Are you, I mean, do you, with Netgear and NASs and that sort of stuff, do you see a demand for cloud storage as well? I mean, and do you think that'll be, that'll grow with fiber uptake? Absolutely. Uh, cloud, cloud backup, you know, both for the consumer and in the SMB space is something that, you know, we're very focused on, something that we're integrating into the ReadyNAS. Um, you know, even we, we had a product called Replicate, which we've been um, making available for ReadyNAS customers for free now for about 12 months. So Ready, ReadyNAS, that's your network attached storage box, right? You fill it up with hard drives or it comes with a bunch of hard drives um, and... What you're talking about, the replicate feature, is that allows you to ha- to basically take the content that's on one that's in your home or your business, and then to push that across to another unit somewhere else to do sort of a, an online backup. That's exactly it. You, you've explained it better than I can. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's exactly it. It's it's a very simple to use cloud portal um, cloud portal that you you register for. Uh, you load the client on each ReadyNAS. You select the folders you want to replicate. You can set a schedule. And basically, it will push that content as it changes up over to the other ReadyNAS. And that could be something, you know, if you're a home user, you could run between you and your mate's house. Um, or, you know, it has business applications as well. Um, you know, we see a lot of small business units, users, owners, buying a ReadyNAS, putting it in their business, and then, you know, replicating their, their business data back to their home um, just so that they've got that off-site backup and don't have to worry about tapes anymore. Yeah, I think, I mean, what we're starting to see is a, is a you know, I guess a new generation of uh, products that just weren't possible before with our slower internet connections, um, with the complexity of networking and so on. And, you know, no, this is one of those products that, that, you know, deals with some of the complexity by making it reasonably easy to get, uh, you know, to get up and running and it will take advantage of ultra-fast broadband. And, uh, you know, I guess we were also seeing the uh, the cloud services like, uh, you know, Dropbox and and. SkyDrive and um, you know Office 365 and so on that are that are you know really uh, starting to take advantage um, you know yeah. of the new newer connectivity uh, you know capabilities. So 
it, it'll be interesting to see what what else comes out over over this sort of ne- next couple of years as our as our internet connections uh, keep uh, keep bumping up and we end up with data caps that can really take you know take use of of these things because certainly in the past you know replicating uh, you know data from one place to another um, you know would flood your internet connection and you'd get a you'd get a you know crazy bill for the for the usage right and it just wasn't practical. That, that's exactly it. And, you know, the, the other challenge with replicating data between a couple of NASAs is often the setup piece, as you mentioned. And, you know, one of the, the, the cool things about the replicate client is, is that you can have two NASAs in any location and it's smart enough to find them again without having to go through the pain of, of setting up static IP addresses and those sorts of things. And the other thing, too, is, is all the traffic is encrypted using SSL. So it's all, also nice and secure. Um, you mentioned Dropbox, and one of the cool things about Drop, uh, the Dropbox is that feature where you can you know, get your upload content and get it from anywhere. And you know, at Netgear, our philosophy is around you know, hybrid cloud. So you know, one of the other features for, 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 for ReadyNAS that we'll be seeing soon is, is a, a Dropbox-style application where you can use your ReadyNAS as a Dropbox and... Put your push your stuff onto it from anywhere, and then provide people with restricted access to be able to share it and access it. That's pretty good. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> saves saves the problem with shared. I mean, I had that thing with shared drives on or shared folders on Dropbox using up all my space. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can just have you know use a, a network attached storage box, which could have you know a terabyte or many terabytes worth of uh, information. Then you deal with some of those uh, uh, some of those limitations. So yeah, definitely uh, you know sounds sounds pretty interesting at the uh, you know that 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 sort of consumer end of, of things. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a question: uh, you, Your 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 ReadyNAS stuff support BitTorrent and that sort of stuff, do they? They do, yes. We yeah. have BitTorrent plugins but, for those. No, so that's, that's funny. I mean, <laughs> I, I know that BitTorrent's used for valid things, but I also know what I'd use BitTorrent on a ReadyNAS for. And um, I kind of, I wonder, it, it, it's a bit of a segue, but, but you know, is it at the same level as, as mega upload and that sort of stuff? And it bothers me that, and I wonder if that sort of thing will be a target in the future for, for copyright, you know, people looking to, to crack down on copyright infringement and start, you know, just like, I guess, Mega Upload and YouTube and Dropbox are as guilty as, as are they as guilty as ReadyNAS and, and Netgear, you know, these sort of <laughs> things that you can use to, to, do, to do bad things. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to frame the question in the right way, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess so, there, there's a there's a making, whole there's a whole lot of ways of um, transmitting and storing yeah. um, copy copyright material. And as we see, and, and, as and we I see think our, all of all of yeah. these tools have been yeah. you know have been used in the early days of YouTube. Yeah. It was yeah. you know reasonably well sort of well you know it's it's been discussed that there there was there was plenty of copyright yeah. uh, material and not necessarily the mechanisms to I deal just wonder, with it. As RAA and those guys get more and more desperate as their business model goes more and more. South, whether they'll start to, to get you know more and more aggressive about who they target. I think I'm I'm certainly you know hopeful that the the business models now are starting to are starting to uh, you know to to catch up a little bit. And you know, I had a catch up um, you know last week with um, um, the local uh, um, CEO of QuickFlix who are you know bringing that uh, movie and TV uh, distribution and electronic sense to uh, to New Zealand and to the to the Australian market as well uh, in the same way that you know Netflix has in, in the US and other markets uh, and you know we, we're seeing a number of uh, music distribution services be it you know uh, Spotify or iTunes and so on so yeah, but my thought is, in, in theory, they won't have to be running around um, so much in the future, you know, panicking about uh, copyright infringement because there will be business models that mm. will cover all the bases. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, have you got any any picks on the on on the future of that one, Ryan? I, look, I, I I agree with you, Paul, on that because I think you know as we make as the the studios and the, the organisations like Spotify and QuickFlix make it easier for you to access hmm. anything you want for a, a fixed monthly amount, you know the the enthusiasm to torrent will I think yeah. from the average person will decline because. You know, with torrenting, there's all the pitfalls there. Or, you know, you, the quality of the pro, the video you get, etc. Whereas if you subscribe to a service, you, you're 
mm. guaranteed a good quality video that you know you can play in HD on your your screen whenever you want. Yeah, and so. I guess I mean rounding it out, when you've got a, a, a fast edge network, you've got, you know you've got fibre to everyone's home going super fast, and everyone's got a giant NAS. I'd love a future where all the latest releases come down to my box you know, locked in some way or if I've got a subscription or whatever, just when I don't even have to think about it. And if I want to watch something, rather than having to stream it or whatever, it's there and I unlock it or, or my subscription allows me to watch it. I mean, that, Why wouldn't you perfect. just stream it? If your connection's so fast, you can stream anyway. I mean, yeah, when I, I, so. I, when I stream so. I mean, content yeah. now, I've got a reasonably fast connection. I hit yeah. play and, you know, within, you know, two seconds or in a bad case, it might be 10 seconds. Yeah, true. I suppose so. um, yeah. It just starts playing and it looks yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, I definitely think streaming's the way forward. Yeah. So... Does that will that have a um, will that have a, an impact on the network attached storage and on that sort of the storage business in the future, or you know what sort of storage do you think that people are going to need locally in ten, you know let's say five ten years out, uh, you know uh, is it you know going to be more cost effective just to have a a big Google Apple Microsoft or whoever other else comes along in the future buy all the storage at at, at lower costs than what a consumer can buy it and then we just get everything delivered to us um, you know via the cloud via you know internet and and streaming services and so on look I think for for, for music and for, for video content then absolutely streaming will be the way but you know cons- I, th- I feel that consumers still want to touch their, their their own personal data their photos you know their tax returns their business data that sort of thing so there's always going to be a situation where they're going to want personal storage and I think, you know, we, human nature has us hoarding stuff. So we're always going to continue to increase our storage requirements. So, you know, 10 terabytes or 12 terabytes will, you know, be what's the norm in a home in, in five years' time, I think. But if I, can buy the, if I can buy that online and it costs me less than it does to buy, um, you know, to, to buy that same uh, equipment, I mean... And and we know that the security has improved, and all of those things are you know really good. Of course, we've got you know we've got cases like um, you know the one a couple of weeks ago where where somebody's you know um, you know consumer based their their well their their uh, Apple login got uh, you know someone got into it and they wiped their phone and their laptop and they you know they actually lost their local data, but that could have been cloud data that was being um, erased. But once we sort of get past some of those things and people are. Are you know really confident, and the uh, the cloud providers maybe have you know uh, rollback mechanisms if something like that happens. Um, ben, what do you think? Would you um, would you use a cloud service if you had a you know you had a connection to it that was as fast as a home network connection, and it could store as you know terabytes of data like you could store um, you know locally, and, and the data cap caps were um, were you know uh, well, yeah. much less of an issue. I mean you know this is I, I mean we would. But I mean, yeah. I, I, there's something there's something about having having your own stuff. I was just saying this to, um, you know, earlier that 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 um, there's certain stuff that that I don't really care if it comes or goes, and that, you know, all I want is a big local storage for that sort of thing. But yeah, certainly for photos and documents and important stuff, I'd probably push to cloud. But I mean, then again, you hear the horror stories, you know, horror yeah. stories of security and yeah, and, absolutely, and that sort of stuff, and. Yeah, oh, so it's a hard. So there's call. definitely some. There's definitely some <laughs> you know, um, some yeah. some um, hurdles to bypass yeah. or to yeah. get past before and we're going to have that sort of yeah. full confidence across well, the board. The, yeah, exactly. When you see the hacking that's going on. You know, you know, they're just falling down one by one. You know, Sony, Blizzard, all these guys, and you know how much hacking is going on at banks that we're not being told about because not an interest mm. to tell us about it. You know, and. You know, look at um, you know Matt Honan and then his his Apple iCloud hack and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I honestly think that that if there is a big enough honeypot, it will be hacked. You know, there's really no way to get around that, unless we, we fundamentally change the way we deal with security. Whereas, you know, if I've got a, you know, a, a NAS I can put under my arm if there's a fire, you know, in the house, then it's something I can physically put my hands on. You know, and I know there's my photos. They're on that black box, and you know, if, if something goes wrong, I will pick up the black box and, and run away with it. 
with the cloud, I don't know that. You know, is it, is, is it going to be? But there? what if it burns down and you're not there? Yeah. Well, I mean, do you do you keep a do you keep it back up? Will that be in the cloud or will that be yeah. a, a, a physical external drive? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's just interesting to have these discussions and to uh, you know I guess think a little bit about uh, yeah where 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 it's all heading and um, yeah. Hybrid make, cloud make is some the guesses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it certainly suits um, suits Netgear's uh, business, right? So, um, yeah. Well, uh, and, and it and it seems to be. I mean, in terms of when I look at most businesses, there's a there's room to use the cloud alongside uh, definitely using things locally at the moment. And you know, certainly for most businesses of any sort of scale, uh, it. You know, as a general rule, it doesn't make sense to have absolutely everything in the cloud because there are just complexities that the that the cloud certainly can't deliver to uh, you know today, and there are security things and um, and and uh, you know distance things to do with our international inter- internet connectivity. Um, but you know, we, we're certainly seeing some of the smaller businesses that are really um, using the cloud a lot more than the than the bigger ones primarily. So. Um, yeah, that will that will definitely progress over time. Uh, you know, more to the cloud. Yeah, look, Netgear is an organisation that definitely believes in the hybrid cloud strategy. You know, we we have SharePoint servers internally, and we use a, you know all of Microsoft products. But then at the same time, too, we also you know use Salesforce as our primary CRM and sales tool. So you know, that's that's purely, purely cloud based. You can't you can't install it in your uh, inside your business, right? That's so, exactly right. Yeah, you know, our HR application for for performance monitoring our staff is all, all cloud-based as well. So, you know, there is a lot of great cloud-based applications out there. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Good, all right. Uh, thank you for that. Now, um, in terms of events uh, coming up, uh, local events, uh, we've got uh, Microsoft's Tech Ed, which is now just uh, two weeks away. Don't tell me, but I work on my presentations. <laughs> yeah, have, what have you got up your sleeve for, uh, for Tech Ed? What well, are you going to be talking about? All, all the whole um, Market Metro team's talking, all four of us. We're on various things. Keith's doing an intro to Windows Phone 8. Um, depending on what gets announced on the 5th, he doesn't know what he's allowed to talk about yet. <laughs> um, Ian and I are doing um, an absolute beginner's guide to, to Windows 8 development, and Nigel and I are doing more sort of advanced stuff we've learnt um, from those multitude of Windows app Windows apps we've built. So there goes. That, that, that's if you're a developer, that's a good session to come to because we've had so much pain that we've we've managed to get through, and and we're going to give away all our secrets of that session. So yeah, all of your secrets, <laughs> most of our secrets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. very very cool. Oh, we'll yeah. we'll uh, we'll definitely be look, looking forward to uh, to that. And I think you know, uh, Tech Ed is is you know really a big event like the, on the, the, the Microsoft um, Geek Pilgrimage, really, isn't it, in New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, I think it's the largest uh, largest. Sort of Tech conference, or um, or maybe largest conference and you know annual conference in New Zealand, so they yeah. sort of um, tend to draw a pretty uh, pretty large crowd. Uh, and I think we do pretty well actually against the Australian one, which is um, not a whole lot bigger than the New Zealand event, uh, even though you've got uh, one is about five times the population. <laughs> but uh, we're we're used to punching uh, ab- above our weight when it comes to uh, to Australia, aren't we? Yep. <laughs> I can't remember. Did you beat us in the the gold medal tally? Because I know it was looking very. Uh, it was pretty close. We, we, cert- we certainly beat place. you for the first half, and uh, <laughs> in the per capita stakes, I think we yeah, were. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we. We we were um, we were up front there, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we won't mention the rugby that just occurred. <laughs> we didn't do. Too oh, well we there, can either. do. We can do. I, I mean, we could go on for a long time about this stuff, couldn't we, Ben? <laughs> just not the league. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so so TechEd, that's a couple couple of weeks away. Um, there's Project uh, Revolution, uh, which is coming up next week, which is sort of a digital and and uh, social media um, event. We'll chat a little bit more about that at the beginning of. Uh, Next week we've got um, John Lai from uh, Social Media um, NZ. Um, I'm hoping we'll uh, we'll find some time to uh, um, squeeze squeeze in and uh, and join us next week. Uh, so that's a good one to um, to look up. And uh, now Ben, uh, Code Mania is the event that uh, that you kicked off earlier on this year. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the um, the upcoming sort of uh, mini Code Mania event? Yeah, so we had the inaugural Code Mania at the end of March, and um, what it was was a software develop a conference for software developers. So um, and there's quite a few of those in New Zealand, right? Yeah, we got we got specific ones, right? We got we got Tech Ed and we've got WebStock, and and but they all focus around particular technology or development style. So WebStock's about web, and Tech Ed's about Microsoft. Code Mania is about 
software development. So we had speakers talking about uh, the latest Microsoft tech. We had Ruby guys. We had Java guys. We had JavaScript. You know, Perl. Um, so, so it's it's more about. Um, we even had a guy from the university physics department talking about how they use high performance computing to measure the size of the universe. So, it's really about. Um, wow. Well, nerds. <laughs> sorry, wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Software nerds coming together to to talk to each other, and and based on the premise that Ian and I organised it on on the fact that we love watching deeply technical speakers who know their stuff talk about. Their, their topics regardless of what the topic is it's always interesting so that, that's the premise yeah and then um, on October the 26th the Friday um, we're having a Code Mania After Dark which is a wee little um, uh, you know two hour event we've got four great local female speakers first and then we've got one guy coming in from the States to talk um, uh, Corey Haynes is his name and um, he took the the whole Apprentice Journeyman Master thing literally um, you know, there's that, that whole point is you apprentice with someone for a while, then you take a journey, and then you become a master of what you do. Yes. So after he did his apprenticeship in software, he actually journeyed across the states, coding his way across the states, sleeping on people's couches, <laughs> working with them in their offices, coding with them. Um, and so he's going to come and you know give us a talk about that, which is which is a really cool story. Oh, that's great. And hopefully at that event, we'll also announce um, some speakers for Codemania 2013, which will be in March next year. And um, anyone who buys a ticket to the Codemania After Dark, which is forty bucks, gets forty dollars off. Code Mania 2013, so it's basically free. So cool, yeah. cool. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Um, now you've obviously mentioned some um, um, you know, speakers there and so on. So I might just jump back um, quickly. Mm. Uh, TechEd um, they have um, noted podcaster Paul Tarot, um coming as uh, as one of their speakers. So anyone who's a uh, listens into his uh, Windows Weekly podcast will probably find that uh, interesting to hear his um, his keynote. Um, and for um, Project Revolution. Um, they've got an interesting lineup there, and it's worth going having a look on the the website. Um, but it's it's headlined by Alec Ross, who's um, uh, senior advisor for innovation to um, um, Hillary Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State in the US. Um, and um, they've got uh, Emily Banks as well, who's um, associate managing editor for uh, Mashable. So yeah, some interesting. Um, um, People that we're starting to see coming coming through the tech conferences here in uh, in New Zealand a lot more so than what we were seeing um, you know three or four years ago. So um, so that's that's good to see. Um, that probably just about wraps us up for this week. I think we're um, we're just about out of time um, now. We were we, Ben, you you were quite. Um, um, Interested in that uh, recent Mars lander uh, footage? There's that um, sort of video pieced together out of still shots that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's just gone up um, on on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. They, so they had, they released a very early one, which was all the thumbnails. Now they've downloaded all the full res videos of the um, the, the downward facing camera from the lander and pieced it together to a to, you know a video of, of landing on Mars, which is pretty pretty remarkable yeah that is cool um we will um now i always say we're going to put links up but i promise this week we're going to put a link to that or we will put the um uh the video up on the nz tech podcast site so um do go and have a look um at nztechpodcast.com to um to find that uh now guys where do we uh where do we find you online ben uh, NZBen is where you find me. I mean, all my links go from there. Um, so yeah, Twitter, twitter.com slash NZBen. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Yeah. And um, Ryan, um, uh, you've been uh, rather quiet on uh, on Twitter. Um, yes. But from today, we're um, we're going to be seeing a tweet or two from you, aren't we, from time to time? Yeah, so I'm going to have to lift the bar on my uh, my tweeting. Predominantly, I spend my time on LinkedIn wandering around there, so people can certainly find me on LinkedIn, but uh, I will work harder on Twitter going forward. Okay, and your uh, your Twitter handle? Is uh, Ryan underscore Parker underscore AU. All right. Thank you. All right. Good, good. All right, that's excellent. Thanks, um, well, you can find me online, uh, Twitter is Paul Spain, uh, and I blog at uh, techjungle.com or paulspain.com. Uh, and, uh, of course, for um, for the NZ Tech Podcast, uh, we're, we're on Twitter as well, NZ Tech Podcast, and uh, facebook.com slash NZ Tech Podcast. So uh, feel free to, to jump in and follow us in those places. And, uh, yeah, we'll look forward, to, uh, look forward to next week's episode, and uh, we'll hope to catch you all then. Cheers.